Yeah, we're going to go to John chapter 13. If you have a Bible, you want to go ahead and open it up. It'd be great. It's been a good, good day. Long day. You've heard a lot already, haven't you? So thanks for being so attentive, especially to the Lord of worship. He is worthy, amen? He is worthy. Context here. This is the night before the cross. Jesus has desired to be with his disciples for a last meal together, a few hours together, to impart to him, to, to them, some critical teaching. And he reveals to us, God bless you. He reveals to us so much of his heart. John chapter 13. Alexander McLaren called this the Holy of Holies of the New Testament, John 13. We're not going to read all of it, but we're going to look just in the beginning here. In verse 1, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. We're going to, for time's sake, skip down to verse 12. There's a very meaningful and interesting dialogue between Simon Peter and Jesus. But picking up in verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed. If you think about it. If you have good intentions, if you consider them, he said, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Lord, we've prayed so many times, we pray once more that you would bless your word and the preaching of your word. Speak to our hearts, Holy Spirit, and help us to be doers, not just hearers of your word. Amen. Amen. If you uh, if you can be any character in the New Testament, who would you want to be? You can't be Jesus. That's heresy. <laughs> or God or the Holy Spirit. Mary, the mother of our Lord. The other Mary. There were a lot of Marys. One, actually, from whom Mary, the sister of Martha. <laughs> Mary would be great. 
any of the Marys would be wonderful. Lovers of Jesus. And <laughs> that's awesome. Who else? Uh, Paul. Paul. What do you love about Paul? Dude's intense, isn't he? <laughs> Paul is intense. And a lover of God, and a planter of churches, and a missionary. Like no other. Amen. Who have Andrew. Andrew, the one who brought men to Jesus. Peter. Lazarus. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. Tychicus. Got some theologians in here. Aphrodites. Secundus. That's awesome. One, uh, one of my friends said that he would like to be Simon of Cyrene, who helped to carry the cross of Jesus to bear that burden. That's pretty good, huh? Yeah. Um, another, another old preacher said that if he could be any New Testament character, he actually would like to be the angel that stood by Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, the strengthening angel that that helped Jesus when all of his friends had fallen asleep and left him all alone in his darkest hour. Some would say his darkest hour was in the garden, even before the cross, as he poured out his soul to God, sweat those great drops of blood, to be the angel that helped him and was a friend to Jesus during that dark hour. That's pretty good, isn't it? How many would like to be a blessing to Jesus like that, be a friend to Jesus, to help Jesus? But then that old preacher went on to say that you, you and I all have that same opportunity that that angel had to help Jesus because Jesus actually said, whatever you do for the least of one of these, my brothers or sisters, you actually have done for, for me. So whatever you do for a brother or sister in Christ, you actually are doing it for Jesus. So when you help a brother or a sister who's in need, you're actually helping Jesus, so we all actually have that opportunity. That's pretty good, isn't it? And this is actually a really big deal to Jesus. So we go back to John chapter 13, and this is such a powerful passage because we see the love of Jesus for his disciples, but we also see the heart of Jesus in trying to help his disciples love one another. Luke 22 tells us that earlier in the day, Jesus had sent Peter and John to make preparations for this private meal. And they had made preparations. The meal was there. It says, as the meal was being served, Jesus got up. A couple of thoughts about this. Uh, it doesn't say that Jesus interrupted the meal being served and said, hey, could somebody go get a basin of water and a towel? It seems that the basin of water and the towel were already in the room. They were there. The other thing, he waited until the meal was actually being served. Peter and John were there. Jesus and the other disciples came. I, this is speculative. I don't know if they were there for 10 minutes before the meal was being served or an hour before the meal was being served. But it almost seems as though Jesus was waiting until the very last minute before he actually got. Maybe he was waiting to see if anybody else would see the water and the towel and make a move to wash the feet. You, you probably know this culturally in that part of the world. 
still to this day, but in that time especially, you know, there were dirt roads and people wore open-toed shoes and everywhere you walked, you know, so your feet were always dusty and dirty and it was just typical hospitality. When you came into someone's home, there was a servant generally that would wash your feet. If there was no servant, if it was a poor house, then the owner of the home would wash your feet. This is the South, so it's kind of like, you know, you come to my house, I'm going to offer you something to drink. You want some iced tea? You want some sweet tea? Right? Like, it's hospitality. It's just what you do. So it's just what you do. So the disciples, they come to this upper room. It's furnished. It's prepared. The meal is there. The water is there. The basin is there. I'm trying to imagine where it was. Probably at the door. It was probably by the door, because that's generally where it happened. Everybody sees the towel. Everybody sees the water. Everybody sees the dirty feet. But nobody sees the servant. Jesus waits until the last minute, and then he gets up, and he makes the move. It's kind of like um, when you're at the restaurant, you know, and you've finished eating, and here comes the waitress or the waiter with the bill, and you pretend like you got to look at your phone real quick, just in case your small group leader will say, I'll take it. <laughs> Or when you get up and you're a little late for class and you're running through the apartment and you see that the dishes are stacked up to an ungodly height now, the dirty dishes in the sink, and you pretend like you didn't see it because it's not your turn, it's her turn, right? Or, you know, in my family, what we're really good at is we're like masters of figuring out how to get one more piece of trash in the trash can so we don't have to take it out kind of reorganize everything without getting your finger dirty and like shove that thing in or press it down, you know what I'm saying? Everybody, everybody knows it needs to be done, but nobody wants to be the one to do it, you see? And so Jesus waits, and he waits, and he waits, and the scripture tells us actually in Luke 22 that the disciples had been earlier arguing that day. A familiar old argument. Guess what it's about? Who's the greatest? I'm better than you. No, I'm better than you. I'm definitely better than you. Who's the greatest? And so here's what I think is going on. Everybody sees the towel. Everybody sees the water. Everybody sees the dirty feet. And anybody would have been willing to do it for Jesus. But nobody's willing to do it for one another. Jesus, I love you, and I'd do anything for you. I'd sacrifice anything for you, but I'm not washing Peter's feet. And they haven't learned the lesson yet that if you want to love God, the way you actually show your love for God is to love his kids. If you want to love Jesus and serve Jesus, the way you actually demonstrate that love for Jesus is to love the least of these, his brothers and sisters. That's actually the manifestation of our love for God is in acts of love and service for one another. And we could establish this biblically. This is such a big deal to Jesus. And as we progress out of the upper room, and Jesus, by the way, takes that, this rose 
his garment, he takes the garment of a servant, and he washes their dirty feet, one by one, including Jews. And he shows them the love that serves. And he says, listen, I'm your master. I'm your Lord. We covered that this morning, right? You're right about that. And I'm the one who serves. So now I'm giving you an example. I want you to do this. Then they spill out. They're making their way towards the garden and ultimately the cross. And multiple times as this night unfolds, Jesus, you can almost hear the, um, the hope but also the despair in his voice as he's trying to pull them together to one another because they're individually at this point connected to him, but he's trying to make them a family. He's trying to make them a body. He's trying to make them a church. So in John chapter 13, he says this in verse 34, a new command I give you, he's talking to his guys, right? A new command I give you, love one another. Now that's not technically a new command. That's an Old Testament command, but here's what's new about it. He says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. In other words, not just kind of like a feel-good love, but in the same way that I'm loving you, and I showed you by serving you, and I'm about to show you by pouring out my blood for you, that kind of love, you've got to actually love one another. In verse 35, this is so critical for our campus groups. By this will everyone know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Folks on our campus actually have a right to critique our walk with God based upon what they see in our loving one another. This is the thing that actually either confirms or denies our discipleship, whether we really, truly love one another. And, and he says it again in John chapter 15. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. What does he command? Love one another. You love me, Jesus would say, it's not enough. You remember, one time a fellow came to Jesus and said, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus gave him the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And in my mind's eye, I'm adding a little bit here, but in my mind's eye, the guy said, thanks. And Jesus said, whoa, wait a minute, don't turn around, because you can't have just one. There's actually two. And they go together, because you've got to love your neighbor as yourself. See, they're inseparable. You can't actually say, I love God, and not love your neighbor. Yeah. You can't say, I love God, who you have not seen, John says, and then not love your brother, who you have seen, now this is not my words, all right? Don't get mad at me. John said, if you, if you do that, you're, you're a liar. And the truth's not in you, right? This is big stuff to Jesus. So with that said, why is this such a big deal to him? And forgive me, we get a little passionate about this. This is like deep conviction in me, okay? So I'm getting, I'm getting pretty intense on you. Why is this such a big deal to Jesus? He spent so much heart and energy on the night just before the cross, pulling these guys together. I mean, he knows you strike the shepherd and the sheep are going to be scattered. He's doing everything he can to pull them together 
into a family unit. Why is this such a big deal? I'm going to say a few things over the next couple of minutes that are not going to be um, novel or clever. They're going to be basic, and the only way we're going to get this is if the Holy Spirit really reveals it to us. So it's going to be pretty basic stuff, but let's just say, Holy Spirit, will you make this real in our hearts? It's so easy to use spiritual language and say, oh yeah, I got that. Hello, my brother. The first thing, I'm going to give you a couple, why is this such a big deal to God? The first one is this, because God is a father, and he wants us to be a family. He's a father. And he wants his kids to be a family. Uh, man, one of the worst things for a mom or a dad is to have a divided family. I mean, it's, it's a terrible thing. It's a heartbreaking thing. One of the greatest things is to have a united family. Right. It's so powerful. I, I'm thinking about one time, I, you know, my daughters got along. They were, they were, they were awesome. Three years apart, and two, two girls, and they, they loved each other. But one time, my, um, my oldest daughter, uh, had, she had a report card in hand, a, a literal report card. I don't know if they still do that or not, but she brought her, her um, six-week or whatever it was, semester report card to me, and she'd done really good all A's, you know, and she was proud to show Daddy her report card. And as, but, but as she was bringing it, I had just seen her treat her sister like garbage. And she thought she was going to please me by showing me her report card even though she just treated her sister like art, she like she didn't know. I didn't. I don't really care about a report card. Don't tell. Don't say that out loud, right? We're university students, but big deal. You got straight A's. And can I can I tell you? Can I tell you that you you sometimes you, you bring your spiritual report card to God, but you just treated your brother like trash. God's not impressed with your list of what you did or didn't do. Big deal to me. Jesus said it this way. If, if you're coming to worship me, and, and before you, you're bringing your gift to the altar, you remember that you're at odds with your brother, or your brother's at odds with me. He said, leave your gift there, and go make it right with your brother, and then come back and worship me. Don't, don't be bringing that stuff into my presence. Like you can be right with God and wrong with your brother. You just can't. It's such a big deal. I, you know, I had a brother. I told you, you know, that um, uh, that my family. I mean, we were lost. You know what I'm saying? We're taking lost, like crazy lost. And um, so Jesus went in the picture until later. And me and my my little brother, he's he's 18 months behind me. So we were like one year apart in school, and and we fought like cats and dogs. It was bad. We were really friends when we were little, but then you know, um, kind of puberty and that sort of stuff hit. I turned into the most selfish person in the world. He was the second most selfish person in the world. <laughs> it was like World War III. And I mean, we, we, we crossed lines. I don't know how many had siblings. And, you know, you bickered a little bit. But I, you know, my, my girls were friends and they bickered. But me and my brother, like, we crossed lines of, like, into, into hatred. I'm embarrassed to say that. But it was bad for a while. Jesus makes everything better. And his way is great right now. Okay, but I'm talking old school, before Christ, BC stuff. It was like, it was bad. Like, we were not friends. We, we, we hated each other. And what, is, is that normal? Is that, is that like normal for brothers to love each other? Or is it normal for brothers to be at odds? I mean, we always think, well, you know, we're the church. Like, of course we love each other. That's what's normal. Well, not if you read your Bible. Like, think about this. Like, 
it starts in Genesis. Cain and Abel, right? First brothers, what happens? Murder. That's bad. And then the next round, is, you, you, get to, you get up to like Isaac and Ishmael. Well, that's no good. Ishmael's driven away. There's like, then you go Jacob and Esau. Esau's threatening to kill and murder Jacob. And then you, you, you get up to Joseph and his brothers. Oh, that gets better, right? <laughs> I think they're doing God a favor by, you know, like just selling him instead of killing him. You know what I'm saying? This is bad. Then you, you get to David and his brothers. Do you, you remember that? Eliab, the oldest, that, you know, it's like calling David full of pride. And it, it's, it's, just, it's just bad. And eventually, there's like civil war in Israel, and it's, it's absolutely broken. Tribe against tribe, brother against brother, house against house. It's like that's the history of brotherhood. And so there was actually one time in the nation in the nation of Israel when the tribes were united, and that was under King David. And that's actually when he wrote Psalm 133. And here's what he says: How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there, where? There, in unity. There, in unity, the Lord bestows his blessing. Another translation says, commands the blessing, even life forevermore. What I'm, what I'm preaching to you today is the cure for a dead Chi Alpha group. 100%. What I'm, what I'm telling you today is absolutely the cure for a dead core group. The Bible says, if we love one another, there the Lord <coughs> commands, not, not perhaps or maybe, sometimes, there the Lord commands the blessing, life everlasting. I don't have time to preach to you Psalm 133, but the anointing and the dew of Hermon, there's water, there's oil, those are the two liquid symbols of the Holy Spirit. There the Lord commands the anointing, there the Lord commands the water that brings the fruitfulness of the grapes and the figs. There the Lord commands fruitfulness and blessing. He commands it. If we love one another, but we don't always love one another, do we? Why is this such a big deal? Because God is a father, and he wants us to be a family. Let me give you a second reason this is such a big deal to God. Because actually we need one another. Remember I already mentioned that Jesus knew when the shepherd would be struck, the sheep would scatter. That's the way it goes. But he's trying to huddle them together. It's like, you're going to need one another. Now, when I say need one another, I mean that in, in a couple of ways. We, we actually need one another, and I hinted at this last night, but we need one another in order simply to know God better. Uh, C.S. Lewis is fantastic with this. Let's, can I get you guys to volunteer? Will you help me? Come on, stand up here. Come Okay, Eli, Avery, and Tim, 
buddies. We're like buddies. Brothers, and um, what C.S. Lewis says, we need one another to know each other better. He, he actually paints this real-life illustration from his own life, and he says that, I'm sorry, Avery, but if for some reason we lost Avery, <laughs> he's not with us anymore. And you, you graduated to your new, new name with a white stone. <laughs> jokes you tell that make him giggle in that way, you know, or the, the things that you do that, that like, get him riled up, you know, or, I, like, I don't see any of that anymore. I'm like, I'm, I'm missing part of who you are because Avery's not in the picture. Okay, that makes sense? Okay, thanks, brother. Thank you. Okay, so, we, what he's saying is we need each other to actually know God because remember last time we said that each one of us have our own individual, but also peculiar relationship with God. In other words, a piece of God's heart, His image was imparted to you that wasn't given to anybody else, and the body of Christ needs you to be who God made you to be so that we can know that piece of God's heart. Without which, we don't know that piece of God's heart, you see? So what that means is that, you know, and you're so busy on campus, and you've got so much to do, and so many activities, and so many studies, and if only, you know, you just uh, be on a desert island somewhere with nothing to do but read your Bible and pray and worship God for 10 years. At the end of that 10 years, you would not know God as well as you can know God in your current Chi Alpha community. Because together, we reflect the heart of God and the character of God. So, we need one another just simply to know God, but we also need one another because we're in a battle. So Ecclesiastes chapter 4 says, Pity the man who falls and has no one to help them up. Though one may be overpowered, two can de defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. We need each other because we're in a battle. C.S. Lewis here again is so fantastic on this. He in his book, The Four Loves, you need to get this book, The Four Loves by C.S. Lewis. If you've not read it, just go ahead and get it right now. Make a note of that. The Four Loves by C.S. Lewis. And his chapter on friendship, Phileo, is so powerful. Because here's in essence what he says. He says that friendship is not so much about friendship itself, but about something beyond friendship. And he, he says, you know, like, the relationship between a man and a woman, my wife's over here, so I'll like, a man and a woman can look at each other in the eye and say, tell me about your feelings. What are you feeling right now? What, what are you thinking in that gorgeous head of yours? What, 
what's going on there? Tell me about your hopes and your dreams, and tell me all about what's going on on the inside. And what C.S. Lewis says is, is that a man and a woman can do that, but men ought never to do that. <laughs> Some of the dudes said amen. <laughs> he said, what happens in friendship is it's not so much, in, in fact, I, I'll just quote him, what he says is there's nothing more pathetic than a man who, quote, just wants a friend. He said, actually, the way friendship works is it's almost always about something beyond the friendship, and sometimes it's about stupid stuff like, you know, just like silly hobbies, like, I don't know, like Harley Davidson motorcycles or, or bird watching or, you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe high school football teams, you know, that you're not even playing on, you just watch and cheer. But, you know, what I'm saying is like, uh, there's something that you're into that somebody else is into. And so we're not like doing this thing like Mary and I were just doing, looking at each other, but actually what's going on, Patrick, help me, man. You, you've been up here, you help me now. What, what's happening, come on up here. What, what's happening is we're not doing this, we're doing this. So walk with me. So what Lewis says is that our friendship is about something beyond the friendship, and as we move toward that thing, we begin to notice one another. <laughs> and what happens over time, Lewis says, is that I begin to respect you and to trust you. And he uses this word, I don't know if you know what it means, it's an old school word, but he says, I see your metal tested, like your grit and your determination. And, and I, I begin to respect you. And, and as we're marching towards this thing, over time, we become brothers, and we become friends. You're not Lord of the Rings fans, that's too old school for you, but we're like Legolas and Gimli, you know what I'm saying? Eventually, we're friends who will die with one another. Better than that, we're friends who will die for one another. You see, this is, this is how it happens. It, it's about the cause, and it's, this is super important because Lewis goes on to say, the greater the consequence of the cross, or the cause, excuse me, or the, the risk or burden involved, the greater the potential of the brotherhood. You understand what I'm saying? Like, if it's about motorcycles, that's one thing. But if it's about, you know, the fate of Middle Earth, well, that's something bigger. <laughs> so Tolkien understood this, what Jesus was saying. Lewis understood this, what Jesus was saying. And it's actually, almost every war movie you ever saw, it does this, that it starts off with like, you know, boot camp happening, and there's somebody from New York that talks funny, and there's somebody from Alabama that talks funny, and they don't like each other. And so they get in this fight, you know, during like boot camp, but then they get over in battle, in the trenches together, and the bullets start flying, and they huddle together. And, and they see some of their comrades picked off by sniper, and they huddle together even more. And they begin to respect each other, and if they survive that battle, guess what? They're a band of brothers. Do you know where that phrase, band of brothers, comes from? Somebody said it? Shakespeare. Henry V, 
Henry V is a fictitious account of a historic event, battle, in which the English troops are greatly outnumbered by the French troops, and there's this monologue that is, is super famous because the, the British officers are coming to, to King Henry saying, we need more people, we need more people, we need more people, we're outnumbered here, we need more people, and basically the essence of the monologue is we don't need more people, we need better people, more committed people. And so, can I, can I just quote to you from Shakespeare for a second? You guys okay with this? Can you hang? Okay. This is new for me, so I'm going to give this a go, okay? So this is the monologue from Henry V, where the king stands up and he says, Oh, do not wish one more, rather proclaim it through the troops that he which hath no courage for this fight, let him depart, his passport shall be made, and money for travel put into his purse. In other words, if you don't want to fight with us here, then we'll give you money, we'll pay your way to go on home. We would not die in that man's company that fears his fellowship to die with us. This day, he goes on, the 25th of October, is called the Feast of Crispin. He that outlives this battle and comes safely home will stand with head held high when this day is named and rouse him in the name of Crispin. He that shall live this day and cease old age will yearly say, Tomorrow is St. Crispin. Then will he lift his sleeve and show his scars and say, These wounds had I on Crispin's day. This story shall the good man teach his son, and the name Crispin shall never go by from this day to the ending of the world, but that we in it shall be remembered. Here's the famous line. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. However lowly his station in society, this battle shall make him a brother. And gentlemen in England, now in bed, shall think themselves accursed they were not here, and hold their tongues while anyone speaks that fought with us upon St. Crispin's Day. You see what he's saying? Did you get a hold of that? It's like, if you want brotherhood, if you want sisterhood, it's found actually in the battle for men's souls. And we'll talk about that more tomorrow night, but I've if you, if you actually feel left out right now, if you feel lonely, and you feel alone, it could be, if you don't have any real friends, it might be, it's not always, but it might be, because you don't have a great cause. We hear it all the time, I, I, don't, I don't want responsibility, I don't want to be smarter, but I don't, I don't want to like, be too committed. People who have no great cause generally have no great friends because it's hard to have traveling partners if you're not going anywhere. So if you want to come with us, this movement called Chi Alpha, you are most welcome. But you got to get your armor on. Because of necessity, we're marching and we're in the battle. Okay, so one more, we'll wrap it up. Why is this such a big deal to God? Well, because God's a father. He wants us to be a family. Because we need one another. And then finally, because true community, real brotherhood, real sisterhood, true community is magnetic. It's magnetic. This is the thing I've already mentioned that discredits or confirms our witness on campus. Jesus said, by this 
will all know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I, I mentioned my kind of growing up in a broken home. Uh, when, when I got plugged into church, First Assembly of God in Huntsville, Texas, the pastor at the time, he's since graduated and gotten his wife's son with his new name. But at that time, he was an old man. He was grandpa. And occasionally, Mary and I got the privilege of Sunday afternoon attending the Barnes Sunday meal after church. Three generations, grandparents, children, and all kind of grands, and you know, they're all cousins. It was a big ordeal. And it was like, I don't know, it was like the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it was a giant table with so much food you couldn't even imagine. And it was good too. I mean, they knew how to cook. But the only thing better than the food was the fellowship. So, you know, if you come from a broken home and you get the opportunity to see a family that really loves one another and really honors one another, I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's like, uh, can I come back next week or maybe tomorrow? Some of you come from a very healthy home, so maybe you even had a friend that came from a broken home. You didn't know why they were tagging along because you thought your mom's food wasn't that good. <laughs> they weren't there for the food. They were there for the love. You see, real family is magnetic. This is what Jesus would call a city on a hill. It can't be hidden. When our Chi Alpha group begins to learn to love one another, it's like a city on a hill. You can't hide it. It's like a light that shines on your campus that will actually draw draw people into your group. This is the primary strategy for evangelism. Is that we love one another. You see, everybody wants to be in a family like that, that loves one another. Everybody wants to be in a fellowship like we're talking about, a band of brothers who has one another's back. Everybody wants to be a part of that. Now, the only way in is to kneel at the cross. And we said yesterday, you've got to be born again, and you've got to be on mission, I'm saying tonight. But everybody wants to be a part of that. And this is a magnet. And, you know, oftentimes, people ask me, you know, what, what happened at Sam used to say, Kai Alpha, that was, that was so great? Because God did some really great things, like really cool things over the course of about 30 years now. I'm still doing some really cool things. Right? A group of students took up a $35,000 missions offering a few weeks ago. Like, God's doing stuff. It's, it's, it's really neat. And people ask, like, what's the, what's the secret sauce, man? You're so stupid. There's no secret sauce. <laughs> like, I don't you say that, but really, tell me. It's like something about the, you know, lights or the smoke machine. Or... But what is it? What is it? The order of service? Or what, what is it? Like, man, like... We got preachers and we got worshipers and all that's good. It's not great. Like, but we, you know, I mean, we're just like us. But if you really want to know what we do, we love one another. Like for real, love one another. Like lay down our lives and share our possessions. Like we. Love one. Like, for real? That's it? That's it. There's a lot of things we don't do well, but one thing we do well is 
as we love one another. And there, the Lord commands the blessing. Life everlasting. You want to change your campus? Love one another. You want to see the law say? Love one another. And here's other stuff. But that thing, if you don't have that, you don't have anything. Paul told the Corinthians, you know, I'm getting off straight here, big time. Paul told the Corinthians, like, you guys are divided. One follows Paul, one follows you. You got the gifts of the Spirit, like there's, there's stuff happening, but you, you're so divided. He said, I, I can't praise you. In fact, you ought to just shut your meetings down because your meetings are actually doing more harm than they're doing good. Because you come together and you don't love one another. You don't wait for one another. Somebody's getting fat, somebody's getting drunk, and other people are getting hungry and starving. You just don't even gather together because you, you think you're worshiping God, but your meetings are doing more harm than they're doing good. It'd be better if you just didn't even meet together at all. That's what division, some people say division makes us susceptible to defeat. No, division means you're defeated already. That's what Paul says. If our Kyle group is divided, we're already dead in water. It doesn't mean people won't come to our meeting, but what I'm saying is in the spirit, it'll be a joke. It's not real. It's not the church. It's not Jesus' bride. you got to love one another. Do you love one another? Well, how do you, how do you, how do you like, show it? 1 John 3.16. We'll close with this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So remember, we, already, we talked about this. Greater love is no one that you lay down your life for your friends. That's the goal here, right? This is where we're trying to get. Where you know and I know that we have a group of friends, brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, that take a bullet for us without hesitation. I don't know if you know that or not, and golly, it feels like I'm bragging. I, I don't, I don't want to brag, I, but I'll tell you that I know I have a hundred friends who would take a bullet for me without hesitation, and I for them, hundred percent, in the body of Christ, in the brotherhood of believers. This is who we are. But how do you get there? How do you get to that point? Well can't wash somebody's feet, you're not going to die on a cross, as Jesus is, would show us. And then what John is saying is you're not going to lay down your life for one another unless, in verse 17, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but in actions and in truth. So God demonstrates his love for us, and we should demonstrate our love to one another. This is what I'm trying to say. I, you know, going back to that, that Sam Houston Kayapa thing and what we've seen, I, oh man, I, I, I don't want to exaggerate, but I, Mary, keep me accountable here. I know that we've seen dozens and dozens of vehicles given away. I can't count how many times a core group, a small group, a D group, I don't know what you call them here, has banded together to pay tuition for a brother or sister who, for whatever reason, needed this last semester for particular reasons, and they couldn't afford it, and a small group has actually paid thousands of dollars of tuition 
to make that happen. I can't tell you how many times this happened. It's not once or twice. It's like so many times beyond count. They actually share their possessions like crazy. I remember one time this, this guy got a, a leather jacket for Christmas, and um, one of he was small group leader. And then one of his one of his guys came over, and the jacket was like it was nice. It was like four or five hundred dollar jacket. It was like it was tight. And this guy, this other guy, puts on the jacket. He's like driving on the mirror, like, you know, acting suave or something. And the small group leader meets said, that's your jacket, not mine. And the guy was like trying to take it. No, man, I was just, you know, I was just messing around. He's like, no, actually, it looks better on you. And it did. It looked really good on you. <laughs> he said, no, it looks better on you. I got a fleece. You, you get the leather. And he's trying to take it back. He's like, no. Like, our guys, they actually, you heard, it, you heard this story. Shotgun, shotgun. You know what that means? Like, I got the front seat. Our guys fight over the back seat. It's kind of crazy. Like, we've had cars, like, dented and wounded. These guys are having a wrestling match, trying to prefer one another up to the front. So the guy's stopping, just like, it's a thousand dollar, you know, butt-shaped divot in there. <laughs> crying out loud. But they love one another. They honor one another. I, I don't know how many. I don't know how many people have guns. Guns? They're giving away like all the time. Like <laughs> guitars. My, my friend the other day gave a $2,500 guitar to, to his, one of his really good friends' wife. To, so his sister is one of his best friend's wives. A $2,500 guitar, just like gift to a man. And that guy's done so many things. That guy's done so many things. I couldn't count how many. You see, what the Bible says, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, what we think sometimes is, uh, you know, if, if my heart feels it, then I'm, you know, my treasure will follow. But Jesus said, you know, actually your heart follows your treasure. You, you catch that? That means you make a choice, because love is a choice, not a feeling. So you make a choice and a sacrifice to give like God did, and then your heart actually follows your treasure. It's a really powerful truth. Like I, can you imagine? Do you remember what we, what we started with? If we just started looking for the towel in the water, if we just started looking for it, like we walk in the room and we're looking for a way to serve. Love finds a need and needs it. We just we just look for a place to serve, knowing that. Whatever you've done for the least of these, Jesus said, you've done for me. Listen. Probably young. Probably ought to apologize in some level for getting so fiery about. This is, uh, if you can't tell, let me just say it. About it. This is one of the deepest convictions of my life. And one of the most neglected in the church. So much think it's just about us. It's not. I, I was going to say to the um, kingdom of Greece, let's write some songs about us. 
saying? Like some, some collective, like, like about the body, about the community, about the brotherhood, about the sisters. Wouldn't that be cool? There probably are some. I just don't know them off the top of my head. Let's write some songs about what the beauty of the body of Christ when we're together. So I'm going to create just a little chaos here. I'm going to skip our campus groups. It's going to be a little chaotic. We can do it. Can you do it? Can you find your group? Probably already kind of sort of there. Just find your group roughly. Start moving. Start moving. Christians were gathered together and either lit on fire, 
were thrown to wild animals as entertainment for you know, pagan audiences in the grand arenas. They say that as those Christians, Tertullian records, as those Christians would, would actually volunteer in front of their brothers or sisters, or, or even when the wild animals were attacking, throw themselves in front of one another to save one another, that every time a Christian sacrificed her life or his life for a friend, as many as six of the watching pagans would convert to Jesus because of the power of the testimony of their love for one another. And that's when Tertullian wrote this famous words, see how they love one another. So, I, I want us to pray that we would be conspicuously Christian community. We've been thinking about our individual life and what we're becoming in God, but what we're going to pray tonight is that we would together be conspicuously true Christians on our campus. That we be light, that we be salt. And so we're going to do that in just a second. Individually, I want to ask you this. If, if you want to bless Jesus, do something for a Christian brother or sister. If, like, if, if you want to be my friend, like the, the easiest way, I'll, I'll just tell you a secret. If you want to like be my friend, the easiest way is to bless my kids, or not my grandkids. Like you do something cool for them, then you and I are buds, you know what I'm saying? Like we're friends. And so if you want to do something wonderful for God, then do something wonderful for the person on your right or left. So here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm actually asking the Holy Spirit to talk to you right now. I'm asking you, would you be willing in the next, I'm, I'm going to say two weeks, because I don't know when campus, when classes start up, but I'm going to say in the next two weeks, would you, would you do something sacrificial for somebody else in your Chi Alpha ministry? Find a need and meet it. Maybe it's money, maybe it's a gift, maybe it's monetary, but maybe if, if you don't have that, acts of service. Like Jesus washed feet because that was the primary mode of transportation. You could wash somebody's car. You see what I'm saying? It's the same heart. It's the same principle. Can, can you imagine if we started doing that? Like, if we just started doing that regularly. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit. Even now, Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes? so that we see the water and we see the basin when we walk in the room. We won't just be willing to serve you, but we'd be willing to serve you by serving one another. Help us to see it. Help us to see the need. Help us to look around. And those, those in our community who may have needs, some of them aren't here because they couldn't even afford to come here, but Lord, help us to see them. Help us to see the need that we could meet. Like Kevin said yesterday from Alaska, what I have I give you. What, whatever we can do to meet that need, we want to bless you by blessing your kids. So just for a second, we're just quiet before you, Lord. For some of us, we might know immediately what we could do. Help us to do it. Speak, Holy Spirit, to us. Drop something in our hearts or somebody in our hearts. Spend a little more time. Give a gift to. Sacrifice something for. Now give us grace to follow through on that and to do it, to demonstrate our love and your love by actually doing it like you did when you went.
went to the cross, Jesus. And then you washed our feet. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. You didn't just wash our feet. You washed our dirty hearts. Help us so the least we can do to serve one another in love. Okay, last thing we're going to do is we're going to pray together. So I, I neglected to say I social distancing all here so you can put us all together. If you're uncomfortable with that, really, you can back up or space out a little bit. But however your group is comfortable, I want you guys to pray together that you would be conspicuously Christian community on your campus. By this, we'll all men know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. So, no formal ending tonight, just you pray together, and then God bless you. See you tomorrow. I love you.